Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! Podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, alongside virtually Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. Took a break last week, but we're back in action. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Probably not. Uh, definitely not as good as you. Um, but I <laughs> see, I was going to like... I was going to say, because as we're about to get into, things are going great for you recently. But no, and also, I have not been feeling great recently. I'm a bit under the weather. But in lighter news, in many ways, I should have introduced you as Justin, Mr. 1500 Games Cone. Congratulations, man. Justin just covered his 1500th game for, that was pro hockey, right? Not just Fort Wayne. It was my 1500th Fort Wayne Comets game over, you know, a handful of leagues at this point unbelievable that's amazing so i want to i want to get over this for go over this for a couple things number one was this the first time they honored you or did they give you one for a thousand uh no this is the first time um i'm not sure why that is i don't think i made a huge deal over my 1000th game but uh, i'm feeling a little bit older and it's probably been about seven years since then so (laughs) right uh, so we we went a bit a bit bigger i guess for 1500 so did you you must be the one i don't mean to to burst anyone's bubble, but you must be the one keeping track of how many games that is, right? Well, and how did you how did you nudge them? Like, guys, like give the only beat writer here every day, like some love. Well, I'm right bad about you. Like, how did that come together? There's no nudging. Um, I can be a little bit self-promotional at times, but there is actually a legitimate reason that I had tracked the number of games. We used to do some advertising at the newspaper. And the idea was, and this was probably 10 years ago, to um, let people know how much experience I had because there aren't a lot of you know writers at this level that have been covering teams for a long time. So we used to have this, this ad that we would update every year that would say how many games I had covered, how many cities I had covered the Comets, how many championship teams I had covered, things like that, tweets. Right. And so I used to have to keep it for the marketing department. And then once you do it every year, it's like, well, you get curious. How close am I to 1,000? How close am I to 1,500? So I happen to know. Um, But uh, I didn't really say anything. One good thing about covering hockey in Fort Wayne is they're pretty attuned to the value of the media and the history of some reporters here. So there was a a man named Bud Gallmeyer who covered the Comets for... I believe almost four decades for a, a paper named the New Sentinel. And he actually has, uh, there's a banner with the retired numbers here. And so there's been a couple other writers here. Blake Sebring was one, Bob Reed was one uh, that just, you know, longtime fans of the team know. So it, it was an honor to kind of meet, ex- uh, you know, hit the exclusive company, I guess, because um, I think probably Gallmeyer is the only other one that covered 1,500 games, and the team recognized that, and I, somehow they just kind of knew. I tweeted about it once or twice, so uh, I, I was not abreast of any sort of um, um, honor like they were going to do at the game where they just kind of recognized the the moment, so they, they did that on their own. So you had no idea going to that game that they were to honor you? Like, I watched the clip of you getting handed the the plaque with the pucks on like they showed on the broadcast. So did you know going into that night they were going to do that? No, I mean I, I I'm fairly friendly with you know one or two people in the organization, so I kind of thought maybe they would just kind of put something on the scoreboard. Right. And uh, Saturday this game, old fart's been here for <laughs> right hundred right. times. Well, it's Saturday night's game was kind of a big deal because they were honoring championship teams from 
1973, and 2003. That's a thing in Fort Wayne that they had a lot of success in years ending in three. So it was championship night. Exactly. So it was championship night and they were honoring these teams. And when I knew they were going to do it that night, I was like, oh, well, you know, they're certainly not going to make any mention of this. Not that they they should, but uh, it was it was kind of cool that it didn't get lost in the shuffle. And I covered that 2003 team. So a lot of those guys that I covered and have some nice memories were, were in the house and and, you know, got to, um, you know, talk with them and get some handshakes from them. So that made it uh, extra special. And then uh, my wife and my daughter were there and my in-laws. So it only took 1500 games for me to get four members of my family in the Coliseum at the same time. So uh, that made it cool as well. Have you had a moment to kind of, you know, like, for example, I'm not going to, isn't a surprise to anyone, but there's not many people like you in the sense of that had longevity in the minor leagues system. When we were looking for someone for the hockey news podcast, you were the resounding for the ECH and you're the resounding number one choice. Uh, and not by default, there are people only to do it, but I'm no, but I'm serious. Like, have you done much reflecting on like just the last, you know, 50, <laughs> the last 1500 games? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the last 50 years. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think about that from time to time, you know, we, we talked uh, a few episodes back about Joe Franke, the, uh, the equipment manager and, and how we went into a game. And, and that's certainly when people ask me, like, you know, the, my favorite game to cover, that's, that's certainly one of them. Um, you know, the, there's I've, I've covered five championships and uh, in 2008, uh, Fort Wayne came back from a three to one deficit in the finals, then won game seven in triple overtime at home in front of a sellout crowd mm-hmm. and a, a kid named Justin Hodgman, no longer a kid, but he was fresh out of juniors. He scored the winner in triple overtime. So that whole comeback in the series comeback they came back in that game and winning in triple overtime that was that was definitely a a big moment for me as well but uh you know there's a lot of things to to look back on for sure one more i want to ask you about this is obviously you're a journalist and you're in fort wayne you like sports so you know all the the stars aligned for you to be covering the hockey team there but you've been doing for so long you have a passion for it why do you love minor league hockey as a as a sport to cover as opposed to like say the pro like the nhl or, or um indiana basketball or i don't even know if that's, that's possible i don't know geography from canada but yeah minor league hockey yeah well it's it's certainly different um you know was there a time where i thought i was going to end up covering the nhl a hundred percent and you know there's a a lot of uh, reasons that it probably didn't work out for me and uh but looking back i mean you know, we cover hockey here a lot like it's NHL hockey. I mean, you know, near daily stories and, you know, you've, you've seen my coverage during games on social media and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I think you can do a different type of storytelling at this level. You have a much closer relationship with the players and the coaches. Uh, not everything is so regimented where it's press conferences and and jostling for position in front of lockers and talking to guys. So there's definitely a level of that that I enjoy. I mean, I got all these guys' numbers. I can talk to them at any time. And they are really generally very excited to get any sort of recognition and coverage. And that's something that I think makes Fort Wayne unique. Like they actually, I know this, um, when they're recruiting players, one of the, their selling points is all the media coverage they'll get here. You know, Not just for me, but three TV stations, radio stations, mm-hmm. whatnot. 
And so you can tell when these guys come in, um, you know, they, they're getting interviewed, you know, the first night, there's all sorts of stuff going on, big crowds. And, and so there's that element that's, that's definitely a lot of fun. And, uh, but you know, there's, there's positives and negatives too. I mean, there's, you know, been, been stories where I've had negative experiences because you don't have the infrastructure around or other guys, uh, other reporters, excuse me, asking tough questions after games too. So, you know, if I'm the only one there after a big loss and I'm, you know, kind of being analytical and asking those tough questions, you know, I have to deal with fallout kind of solely myself. So there's definitely positives and negatives. Yeah. I mean, just, I actually, I I have one more question in the ECHL. Like, how do you generally speaking, they don't open the rooms, right? Is it in the hallways that you interview the guys? Well, it depends on the city. So uh, in the HL now, I'm pretty sure it's unanimous that they don't open the rooms. Yeah, NHL we, rooms open, but AHL is now like they don't do that. Yeah, and and unfortunately, and I could see this coming. You know, the pandemic really did did not did, it really did not help us in terms of access. You know, well, that was pre-pandemic, though. I should say the AHL. really well. Right. We see. I can tell you that at this level, and not this would have been before I covered the ECHL. We're talking probably United Hockey League and International Hockey League. There were years where teams tried to unite to keep. Uh, the players out of the locker rooms. Let's just do it outside. And there was, you know, we basically would team up and fight against it because for journalists, we see a lot of value in still being able to go into the locker room, not just for getting color of stories, but it allows you to audible on the fly. If I'm talking to the goaltender and he's talking about how uh, important the play of one of the defensemen was for his night, then I can, you know, suddenly just stroll over there and talk to that defenseman. Now it's a lot more difficult, but to answer your question right now, yes, I do have the ability to go into the locker room. We do do a lot of things over Zoom just to make everybody's life easier. But I know if I still need to go in the locker room, I can. And other teams. Play soccer with them before the game? What's that? Do you play soccer with them before the game? I do not, but I'm always walking by them and and, and dodging, you know, the, the balls coming <laughs> at my head, sometimes probably intentionally. Um, but some cities, you know, they do ask you to, to stay outside and sometimes it's easier. Um but in Fort Wayne, we we do have the ability to go in the locker room, which is still kind of cool. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. Um, just, you know, I, I got to ask, like, one reporter to – one young reporter who mainly does um, AHL and then recently some NHL. Something that a lot of listeners may not know, and I didn't as, like, a hockey fan growing up, and I always was interested in these kind of stories, how when there's an incident with, like, a reporter or whatever – um, or like with a PR staff, like the requests come through while media companies work for different entities. Um, they will kind of, as a unanimous, will be like the media requests X or whatever, or let's say the PR gives them crap. You together say, no, we want this or, or whatever it may be, you know, whether it's the professional hockey writers association or not. When you're kind of flying solo sometimes like throughout your career, have you kind of felt like it's like you are in whole the media as one of the only print guys consistently on the road or sometimes throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, usually I'm the only person on site, you know, especially yeah. especially these road games, you know, and and I'll show up and maybe want to talk to somebody from the other team and and they're not expecting it or the yeah. infrastructure's not there. And you get into a lot of weird. You're on situations. deadline, too, guys. Keep in mind, Justin's on a deadline when he's doing yeah. this. It's not yeah. like it's like there's any flexibility there, too. So that's a yeah. big problem. Morning paper deadline. But, you know, I, I'll tell you one story. I don't know if this is answering your question at all, but. You know, sometimes you just have to figure things out yourself because you don't have the assistance uh, and you don't have that go-between with media relations. But 
Um, you know, real short story, and this is a long time ago. Uh, there was a player in Fort Wayne who got arrested. And uh, I didn't find out about it until a couple weeks after it happened. Uh, long story how we found out. But, um, well, actually, I guess I should tell you. We just saw him at the courthouse. So we got curious, what, what's, <laughs> the, what, what's this guy doing there? And it turned out he had had a DUI. And so we reported it. And then, lo and behold, the day after we report it, this player gets traded. Okay. Now, I happen to know that they were trading him anyway. One had nothing to do with the other. But the optics of it were such that it looked like we reported this guy got a DUI and the team shipped him out of town. Mm. So the next game, which I think was the next day, I show up and I had heard in no uncertain terms that the players were pissed at me. Like, you know, meet us in the parking lot kind of kind of pissed. And this was one of those situations where I was like, well, I really don't know what to do here. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from somebody was Blake Sebring, who worked for the afternoon paper that's no longer here. He said, you know what you should think about doing is go talk to the players. Like when the coach is giving his press conference, why don't you go in there and talk to them yourselves and see if you could sort it out. And that's what I did. So I basically went in and called a closed door meeting with the players. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as, as far as I know, I've never heard of another reporter that's done this. So I, I went in after the game, the coach is holding his press conference. I go in, I grab the captain of the team. I say, hey, I want to talk to the guys. Can you help me set this up? We close the door. We lock the door. And I, I basically explained, you know, this is why, you know, why I reported what I did and how it happened. And, you know, a lot of things you need to understand when you play in Fort Yeah. When you play in Fort Wayne, you, you know, there's a lot of expectations and, you know, we cover you guys like NHL, all that stuff. So I had a whole speech, talked to the players, and I was like, give me your questions. And some of the guys peppered me with questions. Well, you know, why did why was this important? Like, why did you have to say you had a DUI? You know, all these things. And so I answered their questions, and I think they felt better. And I'm walking out, and I heard a player say, well, <laughs> I don't know if I agree with him or not, but that took a lot of cojones for him to come in here and do that. Absolutely. And, and that for years i feel like really kind of helped me with that team because i was able to you know i went in there and, and and faced the music which is you know i think all as an athlete that you should ask for the media is really at least it if you write something that we don't like have the temerity to you know talk with me about it so that I'll was one of those negatives i'll give you props man because not only did you face them but like i did, i think as you said like a lot of people um in the field should be only up to their mistakes recently um i there was a player that i did wrote something about that you know i always it laid in my mouth he reached out to me saw him recently i apologized i went up to him and it was fine whatever it was very cordial and he hurt me up but you know if he was in the echl little ahl has got a lot less to lose right so and i can't imagine you being in a room echl guys closed door Right. right. No one watched them. What what could have happened um, if they weren't receptive? So I'm glad you're uh, you're here to to tell the tale. Yeah, I got out of there alive, but but it, it's a good lesson. And and you're you're um, you know you just you know, stumbled on it yourself. You know, it's always good to have that dialogue with players. I make a habit of you know when I give them my number, like don't be afraid to get in touch with me. You know, it doesn't just totally. have to me. You know, getting in touch with you. If you have an issue, something you don't like, you have a question, you know, let me know. They don't usually take you up on it, but uh, when they do, you know, it's usually ends up being a good dialogue. They usually respect you for you, you know, putting the effort like that, especially in a market like four weight. Yeah. 
So let's, uh, so once again, man, congratulations. Appreciate it. You be extremely proud of yourself. Um, Kola Kavod, as we say in Hebrew. Um, that's, uh, my parents would be very proud. I wasn't very good at Hebrew yeah. growing up. Mazel tov on your Hebrew. Thank you. Oh, damn. We should, we should make it the, the hockey news on the, uh, on the, I don't even know what E is in Hebrew. <laughs> I, well, let's move on. All right. Team of the week, Toledo Walleye, the Fort Wayne Rivals. Affiliate of the Detroit Red Wings. The tide has been turning in Toledo for some time. They had an 8 10 and 3 start. They've clawed back and now they've got control of first place in the central. They're currently riding a 14 game win streak. What's going on, in Toledo, Justin? Well, I tell you, you know, Toledo is a team that you're not used to seeing struggle. And the last time I was physically there covering a game was January 14th, and they got blown out pretty good. I mean, it was seven to four. It was not that close. The fans were very displeased. There were a lot of empty seats. You could tell that it was teetering on the rails coming off. And all they've done since then is go 21, one and one. And, uh, and they've won 14 straight games. So uh, there were some personnel changes for sure, but you've got a, a really good coach, a very experienced coach and Dan Watson, who's been to uh, a couple finals and, You've got some veteran players, and the big thing is their defense has improved and their goaltending has really improved. And, man, Kosa, look at his save percentage now, right. 9-11. Right. Before, when we last talked about him a couple of weeks ago, he was still teetering like 898, I think. Yeah. And you so, said then it's all the defense was horrid in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. He was not getting much help. And, you know, Sebastian Kosa, friend of the show. I mean, you're talking about the guy that's that's believed to be the future goaltender of the Detroit Red Wings first round pick. And he had struggled, but he hadn't had the defense and he's a rookie. And the interesting thing is the guy that was really stealing a bit of the spotlight from him is John Leatherman, who was on who at the time was on an AHL contract with Grand Rapids. Kosa, mm-hmm. of course, on the NHL contract. So he was really uh, uh a bit of a solidifying factor, Weatherman was. But, you know, if you were to go back two, three months with Toledo, they had four goaltenders there. And one of them was Ryland Peranto, who went to Fort Wayne and is currently up in the AHL. The other was a guy named Max Molasek, who had been a very popular goalie with them. And fans in, in Toledo were not necessarily, you know, ec- ecstatic about the situation and having to let those two guys go to keep Kosa and Leatherman, guys on NHL and AHL deals who maybe were not playing up to their um, expectations. And obviously all of that's turned around. But, you know, pretty funny to look back and see how people were panicking. They obviously kept – they were always going to keep them, but they have the right goalies in Costa and Leatherman. And, you know, now Toledo, it's just like people are wondering, are they ever going to lose? Right. And I think it also, without getting into it, I swear, but we – debated like a couple of weeks ago about is the ECHL a good place for Costa, whatever. Look at where we are now as regular seasons in our final stretch. It's boasting a 9-11 percentage has gone through heck or hell. I don't know if I can say that, but I just did. <laughs> and he's coming out with it with slightly worse save percentage than he had last year, the dub. Like, I think that's fantastic. That is a really, and that's going to be a, that's going to be something that teams take notice of when the next time they have a, say gener uh, or generational is a big word, uh big time goalie prospect that they, you know, maybe don't want to send back to the WHL and, and would like to go in the E. So aside from the goalies though, right? They also they're seventh in goals. 
Um, second in goals against defense. You mentioned good special teams, fourth best power play, first best, the, the best penalty kill. Who are some of the key guys that are contributing to the other ways that they're succeeding? Well, before I get that, let me just throw two stats at you, though, because it's, it's, attack. it's ridiculous with these guys. So Kosa has won seven in a row. He's stopped 97% of his shots with three shutouts during those seven games. And that pales in comparison to what John Leatherman has done. He Wait, is it won... 970 in the last seven games? Yes, yes, with three shutouts. He stopped 189 of 195 shots. Kosa. we got to get him back on. Leatherman has won 12 straight games. He's stopped 331 of 343 shots. So that's 96% of his shots over the last 12 games. Four shutouts in those games. And only once has he allowed more than two goals. I mean, this is unprecedented goaltending statistics when you consider both of these guys are doing it. But to your question, they have had a lot of help. Okay, it starts with the defense. They have... Um, you know, really just just buckle down with a lot of Justin. Uh, Justin, how can you throw the most absurd stats I've ever heard in my life and then just move on? Give me 30 seconds here. So their last 19 games, if my math is correct, they are at like a 965 or 968 percentage yep. like cumulatively. Oh yes. my with, god. With I believe seven shutouts along the way. Now you can look a little bit of it and say, well, scheduling and strength of no, opponent that's and insane. all that, but it's insane. Um, you know, the, yes, and especially when you know the backstory. So you know, to talk about Leatherman for a second, we didn't even really know if he was going to be able to play this year. Right, right. So you know, he had uh, thoracic outlet syndrome, which, if you know anything about that, it can cause uh, blood clots. It could cause a lot of pain. He actually had to have a rib removed, and so. Wow. We knew he was going to be able to play at some point, but how effective was he going to be? He came in on an AHL deal, but he's obviously played so well that the Red Wings signed him to an NHL deal. And both these guys, I mean, are showing that they've got the chops, certainly for this level, but also the AHL level and perhaps beyond. But, you know, the talent level of that roster altogether is, is really tremendous from top to bottom. Brian Hawkins, let's start there. Well, Brandon Hawkins, if there's a question that I get from other towns more than any other, it might be this one. What is Brandon Hawkins doing in the ECHL? I don't have a great answer. So he's not the biggest guy. He is a bit of a specialist when it comes to offense, but I would argue that he does a lot of things beyond that. But he probably has the best shot in the entire ECHL. I can only think of one or two guys that maybe would even be in the conversation. So you just know he can score. I know it's cliche from almost anywhere on the ice, but especially on the power play, if he sets up in one of those circles, you are going to be in trouble. So he has been playing really well, uh, you know, as we expected, 30 goals, 63 points in 51 games. Six of those goals are game winners. Another six were first goals and on power plays. He's just ridiculous. Uh, but it, it doesn't just stop with him. I mean, they got a lot of guys. Uh, Karel Tutayev, who's a Grand Rapids guy, uh, he's a rookie. He's got eight goals and 37 points in 45 games. He's a guy that will uh, really be a, a pass-first kind of guy and set up those goal scorers like Hawkins. But there's just a laundry list of guys that I like beyond that. Gordy Green, Conlon Keenan is a guy that I really like. Drew Warad, also a guy with AHL experience, and Charlie Curdy. Um, and one other thing about Toledo is 
there's a couple instances where they might have had a little addition by subtraction. Um, you know, uh, Cole Fraser is a guy that stands out. He could take some bad penalties. He went to Europe. I feel like that helped solidify, you know, some of their, um, you know, their their clean play, if you will. And they they made some some savvy moves. Uh, one one example is a guy named Chase Ruddy, who's a physical defenseman who's got a nice shot. Uh, he was a nice pickup. So you get a guy like Chase Ruddy for for almost nothing. I mean, you're doing pretty well. And so Toledo. You know, they've taken over first place in the division when two months ago we weren't sure if they were even going to make the playoffs, and they look like the team to be right now. To watch the full-length episode and explore past episodes on all our shows, go to THN.com slash podcast. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but Hawkins is not on AHL one way, right? No, he, he's gotten called up uh, right. several times over the last few years, but not on a one way. And so he's signed to an e- he's an ECHL player, like, like contractually. Because remember, I texted you this week about how because Ryan is on Zach O'Brien uh, for the magazine, and I, I didn't know till this year that if you have an AHL one way guy in the ECHL, they must play five AHL games to be eligible for the Kelly Cup. I texted you that, right? You did, yes. I was wondering. I is there ever been a time when that you can remember where that rule has screwed over a player in the E, like where they weren't eligible? I can't imagine it would because I would think any team doing that would do it with the understanding that they need to hit that threshold. But I was just curious if there's ever been a, a screw up like that. Um, Eligibility wise. Not one that specifically comes to mind with AHL contracted guys, because like you said, usually yeah. uh, you've you've scripted it out a little bit. And typically totally. you will send a guy down in February, make sure he gets his games played so that if you want him to continue a season, he can. But there have been situations, of course, where the AHL affiliate doesn't make the playoffs. The ECHL team does. And you are kind of sitting there wondering, well, why haven't they sent some of these guys down that could be helping them? And the answer to your question is probably in the uh, the minimum of games played. Uh, no, so it's the inverse. It's that you have to play five AHL games to play in the Kelly Cup. Yes. Yeah. No, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But but there's been there's been situations oh, where the yeah, yeah. AHL team maybe they brought in right. an amateur or something like that, and you're sitting there thinking, well, they could be making some hay down here. Yeah. But but yeah, to your point, I mean, the bigger thing is the the rule that you have to have played, I believe it's five ECHL games to be eligible for the playoffs. So we you're see no, that. five AHL. Yeah, but there's another rule. Oh. So Darian Kelb, for instance, who is a Fort Wayne guy or. He's an AHL contracted guy, but he's spent a lot of time in Fort Wayne. He needs to get his five Comet games in to be eligible to play at this level is my recollection of it. I see. That makes sense. That makes yes. sense. Yes. But I don't know. There's a lot of these kooky rules. Some of them change year to year. It's hard for fans and even reporters, as you're seeing, to keep some of them straight. Uh, but uh, But usually these teams do get together at some point in time and say, let's script this out a little bit. We want to know who's going to be available to us during the playoffs. So right now, Fort Wayne, they've talked to Bakersfield. I know this and said, who can we sort of reasonably rely on being here for our stretch run? Because we've had guys going back and forth. Now, whether it ends up being who they think it's going to be, it never does. But at least the conversations are had. Absolutely. Let's get on to our prospect of the week before we close off the show. 
and that is Alex Irulo of the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. That is the ECHL affiliate of the Los Angeles Kings. He's on an AHL deal with the Ontario Reign, the Kings AHL affiliate, and he's playing on a Greenville team that's doing pretty well this year. What do you like about his game so far, Justin? Well, you know, one thing about the ECHL is uh, it's a really good place to look for rookies that may have fallen through the cracks with the AHL teams. I mean, for you sure. can you, you don't even really have to work hard. If you just bring up their top rookie scores and you go through it and say who doesn't have a contract, you're going to stumble on some really good ones. And Ontario is very stacked and they, they get lost to shuffle a lot of their guys. Sure, sure. And, and you know, and, and the Kings do not have a history of having a ton of guys in the ECHL, just so you know that their affiliation has typically jumped around a little bit. They had a partial affiliation with Fort Wayne a few years ago because they didn't want to make the full on commitment. So that's something that um, sometimes you watch with some of these teams. But uh, Alex Irulo, great example. I mean, you're talking about one of the top scoring rookies in the ECHL this year. Um, they have a handful of AHL players, Tyler Inamoto, uh, Joe Gattenby, Brett Kemp. Uh, they have uh, NHL contracted goalie and David Renek. Uh, so Greenville has had some talent with these higher level guys, but Irula is the guy that stands out to me uh, because of what he does. He's a left shooting forward. He's not very big. He's five foot nine, 172 pounds. So he's not going to blow you away with physicality or anything like that. One of those kind of slithery guys that uses his speed and, and uh, playmaking, but he is a pass first guy. Uh, there's another guy that I kind of compare him to, which is um, uh, Ty Falaber, uh, excuse me, uh, who has bounced uh, between the ECHL and the AHL this year. And they are guys that certainly are talented goal scorers, but they are pass first guys. And so if you queue up the uh, the the tape of Irula, what you're going to see is him uh, setting up a lot of teammates in prime shooting position. He'll uh, come up with some really nice, you know, kind of cross ice passes, no look passes. But if the onus is on him to score. He'll absolutely do it. Uh, he was a guy that played at Bemidji State from 2018 to 22. Um, as a senior, 16 goals, 42 points in 39 games. So we know for college, those are pretty good numbers. And uh, he had 96 career points with uh, Bemidji. And that's the second in program history. So he hasn't had a, a ton of AHL experience. Last season, he played three AHL games with Ontario. And, um, you know, he's, he's shown a lot of scoring touch at this level. He's got 20 goals and 66 points in 50 games. And one really nice thing, he is plus 19 on a team that has not always been the best defensively. Well said. Amen. <laughs> so one other thing, you know, you, you, you mentioned some of these other guys like Zach O'Brien. Um, you know, he's, he's in, the, in the scoring hunt for the uh, league scoring championship. He's behind only Hank Crone of Allen, who is also a rookie, Jack Combs of Allen, and Zach O'Brien. And I think O'Brien's first in points per game, though, right? Uh, I don't have that in front of me, but that sounds right because he's missed a bunch of games on, yeah. on call-ups and whatnot. So. Pretty sure as of the final of my article. Uh, yeah. He had like 1.52. Yeah, actually, he's cool. You know, Brian, we're talking a bit um, – and he made a good point, like, because, you know, Todd Skirving and then Eric Wallard were saying, like, oh, Zach O'Brien's the best player in the league or whatever. And I was just kind of talking to him about like what that's – how he sees the best players in the league. And he made a cool point how it's, like, it's a weird league, right? Because you've got your guys that are around a lot. Then you also have these good first, second year guys that are good, perhaps even then they leave. So it's kind of hard to make, like, a best player. And it's different because longevity is considered. You know, you could be the best one or the most valuable. You could be the 
most talented, but not there the longest. It's it's tricky to really gauge. Well, and it is. And and we talked a little bit about this, I think, when we were talking about the All-Star game, which has become more right. of a, a prospect uh, showcase, and, and, which is fine. I just think they should call it that. But you're right. You know, people argue a lot about this. And, um, you know, it's funny. We were talking about my 1500 games. People ask me that a lot. Like, who's the best Comet player you've ever seen? And I'm like, well, you got to give me a definition here. Yeah, because no, I, that makes you, sense. You get some guy who's played in the NHL and he's here for three games. I mean, yeah, he'd blow everybody away. But yeah, I want to see the body of work. So to get back to your point, you know, Zach O'Brien may very well be the best player of the league because he's got experience. He's seen things that a lot of these younger guys haven't seen. And we can talk all we want about these great rookies, but some of them you have to watch the longevity because they do start hitting a wall sometime around, you know, February, March, because especially if you're coming out of college hockey, you're not used to playing this, this many games. You're not playing three and three nights. You know, teams start to figure out figure you out. They get physical with you. A lot of things like that. Guys like Zach O'Brien or Sean Sidlowski down in Orlando, guys that have been doing this for years, who could go into an AHL game at any moment and be fine. At this level, they just see things that the younger guys don't. But the younger guys... They may have speed. They may have things like Michigan moves that you know weren't as popular 10 years ago, and they're just doing things we haven't seen before. So it is very hard to define what makes the best player at this level. But I do tend to err towards those veteran guys it, when I get to that conversation more than, than the young rookies. Fair. That makes sense. Well, for today's show, that's all we got. Once again, Justin Cohn, congrats on number 1,500. I appreciate it. And you need to feel better, man. Get better. I do. Yeah. I am just better at it. Thanks for rubbing it in, man. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Take care.